Good morning, good morning. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to take them and turn with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 1. We've got a lot of ground to cover today. Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 3. If you do not have a Bible, please make sure that you know you can take one from up here on this table. There's one downstairs. If you're flipping through, start around page 1 is where we will be today. Just a little bit of a helpful instruction advice. I woke up this morning. It was 39 degrees from what I was reading. Put a sweater on, thought I would be wise. It's 111 degrees up here right now. My wife was in the first service. I promised her I would keep all of my clothes on during this service. I am glad that you are here. Um, A special welcome if you're visiting for the very first time. um, We are glad to have um, you here. There's a lot that, um, as we have commenced, began this new series, Rescued, why the church needs to reach the community, that we um, we have a huge job description before us. However, What an absolute delight to know that we don't do it by ourselves. We know that the Lord has given to us all of the strength that is necessary to accomplish this task. Um, And also, I read this week that the the pulpit is intentionally elevated. Um, It is not at any means to elevate the person. It is to remind us what? That this word is to be elevated above everything else, above everything else that we hear that we read, that we study, that we learn, we focus on God's breathed word for us. Um, I need to go to the Lord first and foremost. Um, We need to be in prayer. Um, I think of dear Carol, even who took a bit of a bout in between the services. We need to be praying for her. I think of Scott Weaver this week as he will be going through surgery. We love you. Um, You are in God's perfect and sovereign hands. Would you bow your heads and pray with me, please? Father, we come bowed. Our heads are bowed by design to show our submission to your authority. And we thank you that it is only and because of and through the work of Jesus that we can come directly to you. Father, I pray for our dear sister, uh, Carol, as she is... um, at the hospital. I pray, Lord, for um, just your continued grace and touch upon her. I pray for our brother, Scott, as he faces um, a big surgery uh, this coming week. We just uh, commit him into your care, and we ask, Lord, for your perfect will to be accomplished. We give you praise for uh, bringing uh, the Ketch's daughter, Michelle, through significant brain surgery this past week. I thank you, Lord, for watching over Roberta Muthler as she had surgery as well. I pray, Lord, for ones that are sitting here that, that no one knows. No one knows the ache or the pain that's in their heart, the fear. But God, I would ask that you would minister, that you would touch, and encourage and remind and comfort them of just who you are. We've set a few moments aside from the whole busyness of this week to hear from you. And, and God, I, I would ask that you would speak and that we, your servants, would hear. 
We love you. We thank you for this time. May you be glorified. Please guard my mind and my mouth. We ask all of this in the precious and holy name of our Savior, the Messiah, Jesus. Amen and amen. Okay, if you recall, there's one objective, one objective that we want to accomplish throughout this study. One part objective, it is to mobilize the local church. That word mobilize is defined, it means to prepare and to organize for active service. Our one objective is that we mobilize the local church to develop meaningful relationships to accomplish what God has called us to accomplish. Now, you think it's, it's pretty easy, right? Let's, let's do this relationship thing. I, I, I have been reminded that people do not know even to how to, to develop meaningful relationships. We think it's so simple. I was reminded just this week that something that we think is so commonplace and so simple that it's really not. One of the privileges I get as a pastor is just to continually walk through the church. There's groups here all the time, all week long. And I was walking through downstairs on Sunday night last week. It was just wild and loud with our uh, senior high uh, ministry, youth ministry, Navigate. Met one of the, the young guys that I know and kind of reached out my hand. The cool thing is it's a little bit on the side now. It used to be like this, but now you know, I'm, I'm loose, I'm cool. So it's kind of on the side he shakes my hand and he pulls me in. He said, Tim, uh, Pastor Tim, it doesn't happen like that any longer. I'm like, what, what, what do you mean? It doesn't. He's like, it's not really a handshake. It's more like a, a hand grab. He's like, you got to lock it in. And uh, so he locked it in and, and he says, and, and, and pull it close. He goes shoulder to shoulder. He goes, we'll linger here, but not too long. So, so you lock it in. You bring it close, linger, but not too long. Walk away and don't look back. And I'm like, whoa. Like, there's... Hi, my name's Tim. No, that's just creepy. It's as simple as a handshake. And yet perhaps we've got to do it a little bit different than we used to do it. Do you realize that? It's the same idea when it comes to, to what God has called us to do. Perhaps, perhaps as we're mobilized in ministry, it's going to look different, a little bit different than what you have always seen or known it to be. Not only do we have one part objective, we have what? Two part command. It's not evangelism or discipleship. We've talked about that. It's not like one or the other, A or B, multiple choice doesn't work like that. It's always evangelism. You proclaim, you go proclaim, Caruso, the good news, and teach people to obey all things that I have commanded. Build relationships through discipleship. It's evangelism and discipleship, not or. Not one or the other. Thirdly, we talked about the fact that what we have been praying for, we have spent 30 consecutive days. God, please give us an open door for your word, as we talked about in Colossians. Why? So that we can have an opportunity to declare. And it's amazing to hear the testimonies of opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. But not only just to declare, but we are praying for what? A clear word. God, give me clear, simple words that people understand. And so we work hard on this. We looked last week by way of review at, at like what is happening around us. Matt Chandler and, and Michael Snetz wrote a great book called Recovering Redemption. I just want to give all the credit in a sense by way of some of the outline direction. We use this material for our recovery ministry here on Thursday nights. 
And some of this idea has been kind of birthed from that. We talk about the fact that every single morning you wake up and whatever your news feed is, whatever, whatever you wake up to by way of how you find out what's going on out there, we quickly realize is circumstances are completely out of our control. There's another storm brewing at this very moment. We know nothing about and we certainly cannot control. Not only do we realize that circumstances are out of control, but people are totally out of control. They're making decisions or doing things or saying things or going places that are like, what, like, what are you doing, man? Just, just, just bang your head against the wall and it would be less painful. Circumstances are out of our control. People are out of our control. What happens is that we live with a constant sense of danger. Like what's, what's going to happen next? And there's frets and fears and worries. And so people try to cope. Like, like, let's go on a shopping trip. Let's go on another vacation. Let's go to another game. Let's kind of block ourselves out from the rest of the problems and just celebrate what's immediately in front of us. And, and we realize that Monday morning always comes. So we live not only with constant danger, we live with consistent disappointment. Dis- disappointment with ourselves, disappointment with others. We try to figure this out, like, what's... Like, what's going on? Like, what is happening out there? It can't be like this. It it shouldn't be like this. What's broken? What went wrong? Reminded you last week, don't don't try and numb that feeling away. Don't try to drink it away. Don't try to ignore it or forget about it. Don't try to stomp out the, the fire that exists deep within, like you say. Like, it shouldn't be like this. It's not right. That feeling should be there. Why? Because as we saw from Solomon last week, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, God has placed eternity in our hearts, that there's something that we long. We long for what God has placed there, that only he, only he can fill and fulfill. So there's good news. There's good news, but we understand, and it's, it's obvious. Good news, what? is only good news if it breaks into a bad news world, and that's what we're living in. We talk first about what is happening. Secondly, today, we look at this question, how did we get here? Number two, how did we get here? When we pray for a clear word to share, okay, Listen to this stuff. This is important. You've got to get this if you're going to have a clear word to declare about the good news of of Jesus Christ. It has to begin here. How did we get here? Let's go all the way back. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created. There was darkness and he created light. There was dry land and waters. There was plants and trees and flowers and vegetation. And he created, spoke into existence the heavenlies, the sun, the moon, the stars. And there's animals and there's birds. And how I love this phrase that's repeated. And God saw, first of all, God spoke. Then God saw that what? It was good. You realize that one phrase is repeated four times in Genesis chapter 1 alone, verse 10, verse 12, verse 18, and verse 25. And God saw that it was good. And then again, then again, God created man in his image. He saw everything that he had beheld, and behold, it was very good in verse 31. 
what is happening here. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are one. They are working as one. They didn't need to. God wasn't bored up there. They didn't need you. But let me remind you of this. God wanted you. You realize that? You you know that feeling when you were a kid, standing along the chain link fence, and there's two captains, and they're like picking people for their team, and for some reason, they always went over you? And you're like waiting at the end, and like, please understand that God wanted you. Out of his goodness, God created you to be in intimate fellowship with him. It's so perfectly described. This whole setting is so perfectly described in Genesis chapter 2. Follow along as I read. We pick it up in in verse 1. Genesis chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all of his work that he had done in creation. Down to verse 5. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Down in verse 18, then the Lord God said, it is not good that a man should be alone. I will make a helper that is fit for him. Verse 21, so the Lord caused the deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and he closed up his place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, this at last, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called Whoa, man. (laughs) Says it right there. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. What do we have here before us? We We have the flawless glories of creation. Literally, in, they are, it, it's an oasis of, of flowers and fruit trees. Mist is rising, birds are singing, sun is shining, light is glistening, rivers are flowing. It is, it is beyond anything that we could ever imagine, anything that we have ever seen, anything that we could ever know. Think of this, undistracted. Uninhibited, unmatched, 
uninterrupted intimacy between husband and wife. Anyone who is married here would simply step back and say uninterrupted intimacy. Wow. Wow. It's bigger and better than we could ever imagine. But now today, look today at what is happening around us. And, and we know that our souls possess a dim memory. God has put eternity in our hearts. There's something inside of us and we miss it. There's something inside of us that we, we want it. We long for it. We need it. What happens? Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 meets Genesis chapter 3. That's what happens. Follow along as I pick it up in in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened. And they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. In all honesty, there's probably not a more heart-breaking, gut-wrenching verse in all of Scripture than what we just read in verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Imagine the closeness and the intimacy. Look at this phrase. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. They hid themselves. Adam and Eve, they were in the pristine wonders of Eden. There is no shame. There's no secrets. There's nothing to hide. There's nothing to worry about. They have been given pleasant, wonderful work to do. They have been given complete freedom. You can, you can look at, you can listen to, you can taste and touch, you can wander anywhere but one place. One thing you cannot do, one thing you cannot touch. You cannot eat of that one tree. 
everything, everything is for you. It's yours to enjoy. But don't touch that one thing. Does that, does that kind of sound familiar? Where we have what? We have, we have toys piled up. We have trucks. And we have blocks. And we have every kind of ball possible. And me, just like my son and my grandson, will immediately go to the dishwasher and look for the sharpest knife that they can find in order to play with. It's all there. There's baskets and boxes filled with stuff to play with. And we must go to the one place that we what? We are instructed not to go. Remember the, the whole question here? Like, how did we get here? Like, look around. Like, how did we get here? The answer is what? Because Adam and Eve ate of the tree. They disobeyed God. It's very clear in Romans chapter 5. By one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin. So the death spread to all men. Why? Because all, every single one of us have sinned. The result, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. There are two words, two words that can describe the entire fall. The first one is futility. In verses 17 through 19 of Genesis chapter 3, it says, Cursed, cursed is the ground. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. It summarized Paul's letter to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 8, verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility. The first word that describes all of the, all of the fall is futility. Futility, that word conveys the idea of being like hard-pressed. Futility, in a sense, being shoved down and confined and restricted and bound. You ever, you ever feel like that? Some of you feel just like that right now. Like, like just, it, it's, it's futile. Everything, everything we work towards and things still break. And things still rust and they wear out and they wear down. What was meant to be such a fun and easy little project becomes so difficult. I can't build a birdhouse. I tried to build a birdhouse like when I was like 11 years old. The whole, it doesn't even look right. It was a nightmare. Nothing works. It's crooked. I'm working on trying to find there's a rust spot in my Jeep and I repair it and then there's another one that shows up and then you repair it and then there's another one that shows up and then this one's getting bigger again. You go back to that and what it was, it was just a fun little hobby. It was a fun little project. Everything is what conveyed by this word futility. The second word, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 16, I will multiply your pain in childbearing. Not only can the, the entire, entire fall, the results of the fall be described by the word futility, it can be described by the word pain. Romans again, chapter 8, verse 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Now, there is no doubt that this word speaks specifically about the 
pains of a woman giving birth, the pains of labor, of childbirth. Obviously, none of us guys can fully identify or comprehend that. But let, 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 me, let me speak for, for all of the men here. It looks horrible. It looks absolutely horrid. But, but although we do not know the pains that you women, you moms, have had in giving birth, we, we still fully understand the pain that like life isn't working the way that I thought it would work. We understand the pains of, of broken relationships. We understand the pains that come from problems at work. We fully understand the pains of, of hardship. And every single one of us have all faced, if not, we'll one day face the, the, the granddaddy of them all. And that is death. Every single day, perhaps not for the nine-year-olds that are here, but for most every one of us, for most adults, we comprehend this idea. I wonder how much longer I have. We know the result, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 19, you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you will return. In, in a sense, how, how did we get here? Because Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, and the result of that is pain and futility. And it's something that we all live with, the inevitable physical death of our bodies. What should we do? Number three, what should we do? Like, what, like okay, we, we know, like, it's rough. Out. What, what should we do? Sadly and mistakenly, people are totally convinced, they're totally convinced that the cure for what is wrong with us is a better us. In all honesty, a lot of people actually think, well, well, the cure, the way that we're going to fix things for us is a better us. We just have to like study a little bit harder. We just have to, to work a little bit more, work harder. Let's, let's look better. Let's exercise more so we can feel better. Let's diet. Let's go to the gym. Let's perhaps meditate and, and just center ourselves on the goodness around us and in us. Let's try to give back. Let's, let's read another book. Earn another degree. Because if, if we were more self-disciplined, if we were more self-defined, if we were more self-aware, then we can, then what? And we hear this phrase all the time. Then we can change the world. Oh, kids are being fed that every single day. You can, you can change the world. You, if you do this, then you can stop world hunger. You do this like one more, just one more lap around the track and, and, and we can cure cancer. We can eliminate Racism. We hear this all the time. Understand first and foremost, know that trying to fix yourself does not and will not work. Know that. Know that trying to fix yourself does not work. Or what is the opposite when people realize like this whole, like this whole thing doesn't really and there's what? All the efforts made and they come to the inevitable conclusion that there's still pain, there's still futility, and, and there still is death. What do people then choose to do? I know. Let's just roll in it. 
right? Let's just gorge ourselves. Let's splurge and let's indulge. Just, just pour another round. That's what people do. People want, it's very, very obvious that people do not want anything to do with God. They don't want anything to do with the Bible. They don't want anything to do with Jesus. They don't want anything to do with religion. They don't want anything to do with you. They don't want anything to do with the local church. They don't want anything to do with any change whatsoever. Sure, we may hold and have the good news of Jesus. But to them, they are not interested in the least. Matter of fact, it's described in in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 25, that they enjoy, they would rather enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Or as the old King James says it, and I love this phrase, they enjoy fun for a season. That what? That, That in a sense, people are going to gamble with their entire eternity for a few fleeting, brief feelings of pleasure. In, in, in a sense, Adam and Eve, what? I have no doubt that when they, bait, that when they bit into the fruit, I have no doubt that that fruit, whatever it is, we're not told what kind of fruit it is. I, I have no doubt when they bit into it, it was amazing to taste. And so that's what people, what? What? YOLO. You only live once. So you go around, you grab all you can get, you just gorge yourself, and what? If it feels good, do it. Don't let anyone ever try to stop you. Don't let anyone ever tell you what to do. You, you just go with the flow, and you enjoy it all. But then what happens, what happens is what? The problems still exist. There are things like divorce courts. There are things like rehab and hospital rooms, and funeral homes that are real, that they are real places of real pain, kind of real hurt, kind of real hardship. So regardless of how fun it felt for a season, at some time, at some time, every single person is going to be confronted with the truth that God has placed what eternity in our hearts, that there's something we're looking for and longing for. So what, what do we do? What, how, how do we fix this? How do we, in a sense, change the trajectory that we are on? Surely we can't do it. So then people will say, well, God can, in a sense. Perhaps the, the initial reasoning is good. But what do many people do? If, if God can do it, then let's search out every single idea that's out there. Let's search out every thought, every possibility, and every single religion. But look, look, look at any of the major monotheistic religions in the world today, and what do you see? What do you, what do you see? You see a system of thought where people must perform, they must perform certain, what? Acts or rites or ceremonies in order to have this, what? Connection or relationship with God. For the Catholic, you better get christened as a baby. You better get christened. If not, you're like seriously in trouble. You better go to confirmation class. Don't miss confession. If you miss confession, then you're going to miss it all. For the Muslim, what? You better pray five times a day. Not four, 
Don't forget your mat. Roll the little mat. Go back home and get the mat if you forgot the mat. For the Muslim, you got to fast for Ramadan. You, you better make sure you save up. I, I journeyed to Mecca. I did it. I spent the money. For the Jew, what? I studied the law. Ate kosher. Never had a shrimp my entire life. We remember the Sabbath. Every single belief system. And may I even say, for the good old Baptist that is amongst us, the same exact thing can happen. I got baptized when I was 13 years old. I went on a mission trip. I never got drunk, never had sex with anyone until I got married. I wore skirts down to my ankles. I gave to the building fund. I attended faithfully. I taught Sunday school. I've done it all. And, and what? All, all, all of it. Hoping to get their accounts paid so that one day, maybe one day, they can cash them in for redemption. No. No, it doesn't work like that. No, that trying to earn God's pleasure does not work. You got to know that. We have to, we have to, we have to be clear with the word that we're giving. We have to know what word we're giving. Know this, that trying to earn God's pleasure simply does not work. Finally, so what, what comes to answering this question? What are we supposed to do? What should we do here? Trying to solve the dilemma that comes from the brokenness of the relationship. What do we do to actually address what the lostness of the goodness that used to exist, that once existed? Described, we read in Romans chapter 8, what? For creation was subjected to futility. We, we, we know how creation has been groaning together in pains. We know that. Let's go back to Romans chapter 8. And even before it's stated there in verses 20 and verse 22, go back to verse 7. Let me read this for you, and I want you to listen very carefully. Listen to this. Romans chapter 8, verse 7, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of God does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit of life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Did did you hear that four times in those few verses? The same phrase is used. What? If, if, The spirit is in you, in you. That is the answer. We what, when we recognize and we know that because it was all Christ's work, that we invite him in, we surrender to our sinfulness. We recognize that we're just looking for the sharp knife. And we surrender to that. We recognize our sinfulness and we invite what? 
the Holy Spirit in to reign and to rule. We what know that only putting your, your trust in Christ's work can restore our relationship with God. You understand that? Everything else gets tossed. Know that only putting your trust in Christ's work, not your work, is the only thing that can restore that intimate, close, quiene, that relationship with God that once was. Jesus came to this earth to rescue and to restore all people. All people. Jesus came in a sense, in a very literal sense, lived a perfect life, was crucified, was killed, tortured upon a Roman cross, but he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the dead. And the same power that Jesus rose from the dead with is that same power that works in you when you offer your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, that is the simple message of the church. This is, we're praying for an opportunity, a door to open for us to share that very clear message. Do you realize that everywhere, I hear testimonies all the time of people who have surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. They recognize that they're a sinner, that they deserve eternal separation, They've put their trust in Jesus' work and invited the Holy Spirit in that literally lives are changed, transformed, literally totally different than what they used to. In 1783, that's before Dr. Gray was born. In 1783, Charles Wesley, one of the great hymn writers, put it so well in this hymn, And Can It Be That I Should Gain. Listen to these words. We just don't hear words like this. Long my imprisoned spirit lay. Isn't that what people feel today, that they're locked up, chained up, bound? Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray, and I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. And I rose, went forth, and followed thee. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? You see, you see that's the solution. That's the answer. The mission of God from the very beginning is to bring glory to himself. To bring glory to God. Therefore, the mission of us together as his body, as his church, is to do exactly the same. To bring glory to God. How do we do this? Mark chapter 16, we spent a year and a half there. But you go and you caruso, you proclaim the gospel. You evangelize. Matthew chapter 28, you go and you make disciples. You teach people to obey all things that I've commanded. That's what we are to do. Do you realize that that little ragtag group, this 12, 12, 11 guys, with the other women and the other followers of Jesus, they, they estimate about 70 people tops. What happened in Acts chapter 2? The Holy Spirit came and dwelt in them. 
By the time you get to Acts chapter 15, there was an absolute explosion of the gospel that they had never seen before, and I believe they've never seen since. They estimate by 350 AD, 52% of the entire Roman Empire claimed to be followers of Jesus. That's more than one out of two people. Why? Because they allow the Holy Spirit to work in them and through them. That's, that's what we're called to do. That's it right there. Realize that when you have trusted Christ, you're to be faithful to what God has called you to do. I use this term all the time, just stay in lane. That God has called you to. He has what equipped you. You do what you're called to do. Don't get upset that somebody else doesn't share your passion, okay, with your ministry. You be faithful to the gospel. You realize that I can do like few things well, few things. There's many things that I cannot do. What have I have done? Certainly not to brag or boast, but I have intentionally brought people around me. That's why we brought in Pastor Josh. I brought in Pastor Aaron, Pastor Stewart. That's what I, I lean on the elders for. To know that every single one of us have got to understand a single purpose of living and ministering and serving for the glory of God, allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us however he wants for his glory and for his glory alone. Please hear this message. As we pray for an open door, as we pray for an opportunity to declare, as we pray that we would would declare a clear word, we've got to understand that what, it's not going to happen through our works. It's not going to be attempting to, to please God some way or by ignoring. It's by putting your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, inviting the Holy Spirit to take up residence. And I would invite anyone, anyone that is here this morning, if you have not surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have not put your faith in, and trust in his work, but you're still what? I'm, I'm coming to church, like I'm, I'm doing the right thing. I'm putting something in the offering plate. No, I'm not going to cut it. You can't put enough in the offering plate. I would invite you at this very moment, recognize the fact that you are a sinner just like me, that Jesus Christ paid the price that you and I simply could not pay. And we cry out, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, and invite the Holy Spirit in and live every moment, every breath, and every beat of your heart for his glory. And we have the privilege of doing that together as a local church, faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we love you. I love you. I just thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that we would hear. You'd give us the strength and the ability to be faithful, to do what you've called us to do, to accomplish what you desire for us to accomplish. We love you. We thank you, Lord, for offering your own son to bear the full weight of your wrath on our behalf. Help us, Lord, not to take that for granted. Help us, Lord, to invite you to reign and to rule. And may we live for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.